Things are heating up in the sports world, and we've got it all for you right here. The Utah Jazz are 27-27 and 27 and preparing for what many speculate as a very active trade deadline. And the running needs to drop a disappointing loss on Thursday and show what this lineup looks like without Madsen over the weekend. Can the Utes win quality games with him not on the floor? And for our weekly draft segment, we've got a good one today. What are our starting five Breaking Bad characters? I'm, I'm excited for that one. I don't know all the characters yet, but I think I've got a pretty good chance at making a good team right here. But oh, that's, yeah. all coming oh, up. Yeah. that's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, guys, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, as always, take us away. Okay, the Utah Jazz are hanging around 500. Um, they close their homestand this week with games against uh, the new-look Dallas Mavericks, although they won't have Luka or Kyrie, and then the Timberwolves. Um, and then they'll go on a four-game road trip, and then it'll be all-star break. Um, so it's going to be an interesting stretch for the Jazz, especially with the trade deadline being this week. Yeah, should be interesting. And no real Utah football news as of this week, but we have some some former player shout-outs. Tavion Thomas and Modi Abate competed in the East-West Shrine Bowl. Thomas had four carries for 26 yards, um, although he did have an almost 30-yard run in the third quarter, so he must have gotten tackled behind the lines. And Diabate had two tackles, so pretty solid outing. Um, but also, how about former Utes quarterback Tyler Huntley, a.k.a. Snoop, who we talked about it last week, kind of snuck his way up into the Pro Bowl but dude balled out. Uh, he did really good in the QB competition earlier and then decides to just throw some some touchdown passes, four of them, in one of the flag football games. So, I mean, a lot of people were talking about him on social media, which I think helps his cause to see if he can maybe try and be a QB1 in the future in the league. So, good weekend by the former Utes. The running Utes hosted the Northern California teams at home and split games. Uh, two games that were supposed to be pretty easy ended up being tests for the running Utes and hurt a potential NCAA tournament bid. The good thing is Utah will have time this next week to regroup as it prepares to host Colorado on on Saturday at the Huntsman Center. And we've got a lot of big sports news before we head into the specific topics on the Utah teams, specifically the sporting event that happens once a year and where you're more excited for the commercials than you are for the game, Super Bowl and it's Eagles versus Chiefs in Arizona. Richie, we've already talked about it many, many times. We we had our 49ers picked as our underdog <laughs> pick to go, but little did we know they'd be pulling in a, a running back to play quarterback for their last quarter as a team this season. What are your predictions for this, this game coming up? It seems like we've got some two high-powered offenses going against each other, but who do you have coming out on top on this one? Ooh. Man, it's hard to say. It's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes because he's just so good. But also the Eagles, they've given you enough reason to this year. They've like they've been good enough for you to believe in them. I mean, what what else do you really want? Um, what more do you want from them? I feel like it's going to be a good game. I could see it either being really high scoring or really low scoring and kind of not in between at all. Uh, I do think it will be end up being a very close game, though. I think both quarterbacks, because they are so dynamic, 
will help put their teams in the best positions to win the game. And ultimately, I'm going to choose the Eagles. I don't know. It just maybe maybe it's too soon. Maybe we're too early in this in this iteration of the Eagles. But I don't know that they're they're the team I'm cheering for. So they're the team that I'm going to pick to win. That's exactly the reason I'm going to pick the Eagles is because I'm cheering for him. I mean, who doesn't like, I just want Britton Covey to get like one good look at a punt return, you know, like return at 20 yards or something. That's all I'm asking for. That'd be so awesome on the big stage. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The fact that he went from a Rose bowl and one of the, you know, greatest seasons in Utah football history as a senior, and then goes undrafted free agent to Philadelphia. And now he's playing in the Super Bowl as the starting punt returner as a rookie. It's pretty incredible. It's a pretty cool storyline. Again, you talked about it before. It's pretty hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, though, because even though if he does play on one foot, he's still probably better than your starting quarterback. And But I don't know. I just feel like the Eagles have – they've got it this year. I don't know how to explain it. You know, you just have like – they've got that vibe with them where I'm like, I feel like they got it. I think it was the same thing with the Eagles team in 2017 when they played the Patriots. And – even though you had Nick Foles as your quarterback, you're just like, these guys, these guys have it. Like it's in the back. Although I really do hope that, and I think it will be a close game because, and it better not be low scoring. Cause I remember in uh, 2019, that Rams Patriots Super Bowl that was disgusting. I think it was like, I can't remember the final score, but it was extremely low scoring and very disappointing to watch. Um, I won't say if I had watched it on my mission or not, that's classified information. Um, but other big news, how about LeBron? Uh, he's getting close to the scoring record. Richie, did you see how much tickets are going for for that game coming up? How much are they going for? Dude, they're going for – it's rumored on the secondary market they're going for like $12,000 upper bowl. Um, Jeez. Oh, hey, but hopefully they don't sit him right, because of load management. So maybe they it, – Is that for the Thunder game, I'm guessing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's for the Thunder game coming up. But, Richie, what are your thoughts on LeBron, you know – presumably like he is going to break it, but what are your thoughts on this new milestone in NBA history? Obviously it's, it's just incredible. The things he's doing at 38 years old. And if you add a point, regular season points and playoff points, he's had the lead for a while. Um, and now he's on to break another record last week. He became fourth in assists all time. For me, the big question about this all is when is it going to happen? Is it going to happen on Tuesday versus the Thunders or, or is it going to happen later in the week? Um, he needs 36 points to tie the scoring um, and then 37 to pass it. And in his last like four games, uh, he had 41 against Boston, then 28 against New York, 26 against Indiana, 27 against New Orleans. I bet he'll try to get past it on the Thunder because who cares if you break the scoring record in like the first five minutes of the game, you know, everybody wants to see him break it at the end of a game, go for 40, go for 50 or whatever he goes for. Um, I think it's going to be really fun to watch. It's, it's definitely must watch TV. Um, the thunder players have been talking about it already. Uh, they asked Josh Giddy about it. He's like, Oh, we're not worried about him breaking it against us. We have one of the best wing defenders in Lou Dort, and he's going to shut it down. Um, so I don't know. I think it could be a spicy game. Just it seems like there's like some budding rivalry between the Lakers and Thunder, um, two pretty bad teams in the bottom of the standings. Last year, OKC beat um, the Lakers twice at home. 
And I don't know. I, if I were the Lakers, I think they're going to take it personally. I think LeBron's going to take it personally. Uh, and I think more than anything, he's just going to go with the mentality to score, score, score the entire game, which is fun. And it's honestly not the thing that LeBron is best at. So to say that he is getting to this point um, is insane because I think his primary skill is his playmaking and his decision-making. Um, but here he is about to break the scoring record because of how he honestly is a really, really good scorer. Um, and it's flowers to LeBron. This is awesome for him. I'm excited to watch it. I've been a LeBron fan my entire life. Um, it's definitely going to be must watch TV tomorrow. Yeah. I, I don't know if it'll be anything like Kobe's final game where they just give it to him and he hucks up 90 shots, you know, to try and, you know, go out on a swing. But I, I do think that, He's definitely going to aim to get it tomorrow. Obviously, you look at ticket prices. I mean, you got to put out for the fans. But um, I just think we're living we're living in such an interesting era of the NBA where I think it's always changing and stuff. But it's like with with uh, Tom Brady just retiring this last week and LeBron. It's like the sports figures of of our generation uh, growing up are kind of fading away. But the fact that we get to see LeBron beat the scoring record against, I mean. Kareem and the, all these players that are in that list, like all-time players, just incredible. And you talk about them all the time, but the fact that we get to see it live this week, that's pretty remarkable. It's pretty cool stuff. And then the fact that right after he's going to be in Utah in the All-Star game, I don't know if anyone listening is going. I actually found out I got to I get to work at the All-Star game, so maybe I'll snap a pic for, uh, for all the homies. But, I mean, LeBron is just amazing. And whether you like him or not, you just have to respect his game. Like, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, Trade deadline. Richie, th- again, this is your stuff, man. If there was a major in college to go into NBA trade deadline, like <laughs> that's that's Richie's thing. Like he's got to unlock I'd be, down. I'd be on the fast track, man. I'd be on the fast track. I'd be graduated already. Yeah, it would only take you two years, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we had presumably the biggest trade so far of the NBA season with Kyrie going to Dallas. Uh, seems like the Nets, obviously, they're not trying to blow it up, but it just seems like it's blowing up itself right from the beginning of the season, I felt like it was doomed to fail, but give us your thoughts on the Kyrie situation going to Dallas and how that's going to shake up the NBA trade deadline as it fastly approaches in the coming days. Well, I think one of the underrated things about this entire trade, it's, it's all absolutely just crazy. Um, But I think one of the most underrated things is they did it fast. And so other teams aren't necessarily going to have to be waiting to throw their best offers until the last day of the trade deadline which is something we've seen in the past. Um, sometimes deals get done like really, really close to the actual time when the trade deadline ends. But it's it's good that it happened early because now teams don't have to necessarily be waiting for some big stone to drop. Teams can kind of get jump can kind of jump right into it. Um, I think it's it's a gamble for for the Mavericks. I, I was watching a little bit of Sports Center today. And they were calling it the Maverisk. I I feel like that's probably a really good name for it. Um, kind of the idea I think bet- behind the trade and getting Kyrie is he is offensively, it's like a better Jalen Brunson. And we saw that the Mavericks were able to go to the last, uh, were able to go to the conference finals last year with Jalen Brunson and a pretty, re- a really good defensive squad. Honestly, they were really good defensively all year. Um, and they're giving up some of that, but maybe for what they're giving up, they're making up an offensive talent. Kyrie Irving, every time he plays, is just really, really good. Uh, he's really fun to watch. 
he can turn like a really hard mid-range jumper into just an automatic shot. And I think him and Luca's two-man game has a lot of potential. A lot of people are kind of comparing it to Kyrie and LeBron, obviously, because of just the comparison between Luca and LeBron um, as far as playmakers, as far as scorers. And then, I mean, obviously Kyrie is in there. And if that's kind of the mold going forward, then that's a pretty good place to start. I will say I don't think that the Mavericks are done. Um, they need to improve defensively. I feel I think they still have some pieces that they can move around. Um, Christian Wood is a guy to keep an eye on. I think they have other contracts that they could easily move on from. But from the Mavericks' perspective, it's definitely a risk, but it could be very rewarding. And the thing is, it doesn't necessarily lock them into Kyrie for the future. So if these next few months go absolutely horribly, then they have Kyrie's bird rights. They can do like a sign-in trade in the summer. And maybe that's the best option for Dallas moving forward. Um, I don't know. It'll be fun to see a play out. I think from the Nets perspective, it's interesting. I think they are still going to make some moves at the deadline. They have a lot of salary that they can move. There were talks of them trying to get a third team into this trade. And it didn't really work out. Uh, they were trying to get the Raptors with Fred Van Vliet, but it didn't work out and the trade is now finalized. Um, so I think both teams are just a team to keep an eye on, which is really fun. And we'll see who wins. I don't know. Yeah. I just think, yeah, it's just interesting overall because again, like you were talking about Kyrie has the ability, like that's just known. And that's the reason why, again, this is a big pickup. His talent is, especially his handles are godly. It's just, it's one in a gener once in a generation type. He has these talents that set him apart from the rest, but it's, it's the risk factor as well that you were talking about where I just feel like overall, like that's just kind of what set the nets back. And it'll be interesting to see how these two um, do well together. I know obviously that statistically their championship odds have basically increased by double since the news came out. And looking at a roster, you think, well, yeah, that works. But I'm interested to see how how they work together. I just think, um, I mean, Luca's going to Luca, but I think it's interesting because <laughs> there's been the memes like who's going to have the ball in the final seconds, like who's going to be the guy with the final shot. You have two guys who can definitely do it, who have proven to be able to do it in great moments. But I just think across the league, like there's been a lot of talk now of okay, well, how long will Kyrie stay in the league? the biggest thing is he's in charge of the players association. And so he has a big voice that way. He loves to, um, you know, make his, his voice heard, which again, can cause issue with some people, but the trade deadline, I think this year will be entertaining for a multitude of reasons. And obviously for jazz fans, we got a lot going down, but it just seems like every trade that happens, it changes the entire atmosphere across the league for the trade deadline. And you talked about, you know, that the Dallas might not be done yet, that they, of course, you talked about the teams, like they might want to add a third team into this trade. I'm just very interested to see how this affects uh, what the Jazz want to do. Um, obviously, last week we talked about Dorian Finney-Smith wanting to come in, or sorry, the Jazz saying, hey, like maybe we add Dorian Finney-Smith, but it just, it'll be interesting to see how how the jazz kind of figure this out. It was also reported today that the Lakers were interested in a package with Malik, Mike, and 
I can't remember who the third player was, but it was for like one first round pick. I have to think of the Jazz. We're going to trade all those three players for a first round pick. They would have done it for a, a done it a while ago. So again, I just think ever since the Jazz had their two big trades in the summer and now this trade, it's just kind of changed the whole trajectory and the atmosphere um, around the across the league. But I'm excited to talk more about what this means for Utah as we get a little bit more specific. And on that note, this Jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Jazz fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat game, same, no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With code TBPN, minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. So, Richie, we're talking a lot about the Kyrie trade. Now, get us in on some jazz trade. Again, a few days away. So, what are your predictions? What do you think? that Utah will have going for them going into to these next few days with the trade deadline coming up. If there's one thing we've learned from the tenure of Danny Ainge, it's that the Jazz always make the trade that you don't expect them to make. Um, we saw this with the Gobert trade. I don't think we, I don't think anybody was keyed on, on the idea that the Timberwolves were going to go all in on Rudy Gobert and trade like five draft picks and a couple of really good rotation players and their rookie. Uh, nobody saw that coming. Um, with Donovan Mitchell, it was talks between the Jazz and the Knicks for months. And then the Cavs jumped in and were able to get a deal done very fast. Um, even with the Bojan Bogdanovich trade, I didn't I didn't see that coming. Everybody thought he was going to go to the Lakers. But you end up sending him to the Pistons for Kelly Olenek as part of like a bigger plan. I don't know. Danny is just, he's always making the trade that you don't necessarily expect. Um, but that being said, there's still a couple rumors. There's always rumors going around. Um, kind of as people are more interested in the trade deadline, uh, it seems like more rumors are created, and there's just like a lot more of it. Um, so I'm going to kind of run through a couple of deals that I think are possible and that have been reported. Um, so the first one, as you mentioned it, Thatcher, it was Vanderbilt, Conley, and Beasley for Westbrook in a first-round pick. Um I don't think the Jazz are going to do that. I think the Jazz would consider doing it if it were for two first-round picks. However, I think just like the way that they value Conley at a first-round pick and they value Beasley with a first-round pick, or at least the package of Beasley and Vanderbilt. Both of them are on very team-friendly contracts, and Conley is obviously a great player who does a lot for the Jazz organization right now. He's having a career year in assists and is the engine of this offense and you could debate that he's probably the most important player on the jazz if they want to keep winning right now uh, for the rest of the season, just because of the way he's able to set up his teammates and uh, coordinate the offense. Nobody else on the team can do it, but I don't know. I don't see the jazz making that trade. That seems like for one first round pick, it's, it's a no for me. However, if you are getting two first round picks and then we probably buy out Russell Westbrook, I think that's worth considering. Um, what are your thoughts on that trade in general? And what would you think of Russell Westbrook coming back in a trade to Utah, Thatch? Yeah, that's 
obviously an intriguing storyline for many reasons. I agree with you on the part that both Malik and Mike are worth a first round pick. Like I said before, I don't think it was worth it that you give up all of that for Westbrook and just one first round pick. I think both of those players have shown to be very integral parts of the Jazz's offense this season. And so I know a lot of people are concerned about Westbrook coming to Utah. And of course, I this isn't going to be, and I don't think if they did bring Westbrook, that he's a long-term piece for their plans. Because as you said, they would most likely buy out his contract. The reason why I think it's intriguing is because it frees up so much space after the season for the Jazz to be able to use their assets and basically have an almost unlimited amount of options in which way they want to go. And obviously we know that Danny Ainge has already set forward a plan. So he he knows which way he wants to go, but it just opens up a lot more of your options because again, the atmosphere in the league will be ever changing um, this week and then going into the off season. So while I obviously don't think it's uh, the best move for the Jazz this season, I think the, the Westbrook move, could potentially help the Jazz moving forward. Those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts about Westbrook coming back? Because again, I know he's controversial. I don't doubt that at all. I'm not saying I'm the biggest Russell Westbrook fan, uh, but what are your thoughts on if you could potentially get traded to the Jazz? Yeah, kind of like I said, I think if he does get traded to the Jazz, it would be a buyout situation where the Jazz buy out his contract for the remainder of the season and Westbrook is able to go wherever he wants on like a minimum deal. Um, he's a fine player. I He's definitely not worth the $45 million that he's being paid right now, but he's been a fine player. He's been okay this season. He currently has the best odds for six-man of the year, which I absolutely disagree with. I think that should change pretty soon. Um, but those two first-round picks are very, very intriguing. Just based on the trajectory of the Lakers since Jerry Buss passed away and Jeannie Buss has taken over, um, they've had one really good season where they won the championship. They're the number one seed. Deserved. It was a great season. LeBron and Anthony Davis were phenomenal that year. And then after, just had have, have had bad injury luck, have made some bad trades. Um, they're kind of on an upward swing right now, I think. The Rui Hachimura trade was a good. They're showing willingness to put a third guy around Anthony Davis and LeBron. They were very active in those Kyrie Irving deal um, and those trade talks, but they weren't able to get it done. Um and so, I don't know, those 2027 and 2029 first-round picks could be very valuable just based on where the Lakers have been before LeBron and where they might be after LeBron. I mean, it's kind of it kind of feels like LA might not be the destination that it has been, especially with an ownership that's not willing to spend, like the Clippers are willing to spend, for example. And just uh, honestly, it's just chaos there all the time. Um, like It feels like... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Not to like interrupt, but I had just had an interesting thought. Like, I know we don't obviously talk about the Lakers, but it's interesting how you talk about all the different situations that they've had to face over these last few years. But LeBron obviously knows like he wants to play with Bronny when he comes to the league. And so I don't know how many strings the Lakers can pull to get Bronny to LA, but say Bronny goes somewhere else. Like, what do you think? Are the Lakers like doomed to fail at least for the rest of the LeBron era while he's there? I don't necessarily think so. Um, like even this year, they're an okay team. You watch them. They've had a lot of close games. Um, if Anthony Davis and LeBron were healthy every game, I 
guarantee that they'd have a winning record right now. They had a horrific start to the season, but they figured out a lot of things since. Like, I actually really like some of the rotation players. I'm a big fan of Thomas Bryant. I like Austin Reeves. Um, I I hate the the three guard lineup that they close with though, with Schroeder, Westbrook, and Beverly. I think Schroeder's been great this year though. Um, just like as a team, they're all right. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I I don't feel like things are really going to necessarily change. Like everybody's talking about how they need a third star. Is that really what they need? I don't, I don't think that's really what they need. I think they need more shooting. They need more defense around LeBron and they probably need multiple really good role players. If you look at the good LeBron teams. um, Yeah. A lot of times he's played with two stars. He's played with Kyrie and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and Kevin Love. Um, And right now he's, playing with one star in Anthony Davis and one former MVP in Russell Westbrook. But I just feel like at this iteration, this level in LeBron's career, if you can just put good shooters around him, like that Miles Turner buddy healed package would have been perfect. Uh, They would have added a lot of shooting. They would have had an unstoppable defensive front court. Um, And LeBron is still really good. I don't think he's like a top seven player right now, but he's really good and he's able to control the game in a way that few other players are able to do. And I don't know. They, they could be good, but it's hard to bet for a 38-year-old guy. Yeah. And obviously we're talking a lot of Lakers because the trade rumors deal with both the Jazz and LA right now. I think going back to your point about the Lakers, a lot of Lakers fans saying they need a third star. I mean, look at the other teams that have kind of competed in the past. You really just need two stars with, like you said, just a deeper rotation. Players who know their roles can use those roles um, in every situation of the game. And I think that's kind of what they wanted Westbrook to do. Uh, But you lose kind of the ability of having a high volume shooter that can shoot it with efficiency. Um, And you need a lot of those guys on a roster that really wants to make it far. And like you said, like if AD and LeBron were starting every game, I 100% agree they'd have a winning record, but it just seems like AD is made of glass. And every time he comes back on the floor, he's twisting his ankles, something with a leg injury. And that's so hard to watch because I think AD is such a phenomenal talent. We saw that in a dominant stretch earlier in the season where it just seemed like AD was torching everyone that the Lakers were playing. So it'll be interesting to see what both franchises are thinking for their future. Because again, you talked about the mismanagement over in LA. I think everyone can agree NBA wide that the Lakers are poorly managed and poorly run. On the contrast, I think the Jazz are... Not that they're rebounding from bad management, but they're really trying to get into the groove of how to be a good managing NBA team. I felt like before the Jazz kind of just found their luck with a few players through the draft, had a good run with these players, kind of then they went away. And now the Jazz, I feel like, are trying to get themselves a position to create a new run and a new era for the team that can really set themselves up for long-term success. And while I still believe that that's building through the draft as they do as well, since they have a ton of assets, I just think that the Jazz front office is more in tune and I think more just, yeah, just like more in tune with today's NBA. And again, I don't think that's really a diss on the former management of the team, but I feel a lot more comfortable in the Jazz's future plans. Um, What are the trade talks have you heard or what are the rumors um, have you heard about the Jazz potentially engaging um, throughout the coming days? 
Well, I think that perfectly segues me into my next one. Um, it's a deal with the, our friends, uh, the New York Knicks. And so this deal would include Vanderbilt and Beasley for Fournier, Obi Toppin, who I really like. I'm a big fan of Obi Toppin. Um, Dallas 2023 first, top 10 protected. So that would probably convey this year because Dallas will be a playoff team. And then Washington 2023 first round lottery protected pick. That probably wouldn't um, portray this year, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the protections are, what that would turn into in the next couple of years. And then a Detroit 2024 second round pick. Um, So I like the point that you made about the jazz trying to build through the draft. I think if you're a smart market, small market team, that's definitely the idea. The jazz are in an interesting position contractually right now because they have a couple players on contract, but not a lot. And so if they're able to land a couple of good draft picks in the next couple of years and then maybe bring bring in a max guy, ideally, like you want a guy on a max contract playing with a really good young player that's still on his rookie contract. And then you're able to fill in the rest of the roster with like medium sized or okay contracts. That's kind of the idea, the ideal you should be striving for as an organization. And so that's why I think the draft is so crucial. This trade would give the Jazz a little bit of cap flexibility. Um, Evan Fournier will still have another year on his deal, but after that, then I think his contract expires. Obi Toppin, like I said, I think he's a great player. He's fantastic. Um, and then this deal, most importantly, it gives you a, couple, a little bit of draft capital. Um, I think having another first-round pick in this year's draft maybe wouldn't be the worst thing. Um Obviously, roster spots could be a problem in the future. However, I do think you could possibly package a couple of your first-round picks and try to move up in this draft. It is a very good draft all throughout, but the top of the draft, I mean, you're probably not going to be able to trade into one, two, or three. But if you could trade into like the six, seven, eight range and maybe get the guy that you really like, that could be really big for your team down the future. Um, So I, I like this trade because it gives the Jazz a lot of flexibility and a lot of options going into this next year. What do you what do you think about this trade, Thatch? Yeah, I, I like that again for the main reason that you're not just grabbing players from other teams, but you're building that draft capital. Because like not only we have stated, but sports fans across the entire nation have have predicted that this upcoming NBA draft will most likely be a historic one. We already know when Banyama's gonna go one and Scoot Henderson's going two, right? We've got like like you said, those top three picks are pretty set in stone for whoever gets those. Those are definitely going to be lockdowns. It would be a big surprise if anything uh, got a hold of those top three. But again, we've we've also said before that the Jazz usually know who they want and they've gotten who they've wanted a little bit later. I feel like in all the special drafts where they've gotten these uh, brand type players um, think of Donovan and Rudy, for example, the last two uh, taken at 14 and 27. And so I, I trust in Danny Ainge to use the draft to build his next era of basketball. Again, like you have to look at the Boston Celtics team right now, and you have to give some credit to Danny Ainge and he built most of those players. He got them through the draft and it just felt like even when the Celtics were, competing obviously they weren't going to the finals but they were competing at a high level and then the next year you'd see they'd have a lottery pick again and there was like a a good few year stretch where boston had some really good picks in the draft 
And I think that just is what set them up for success. And going into this season, a lot of Jazz fans were, all right, we got to tank, we got to tank. That way we can get a lottery pick. Like Danny Ainge knows how to create a, a good team that shows that it can compete. He finds the players that he can stick with as they transition into the next era. And then I think Ainge can find his next his next player. We already know that this Jazz season is a success in terms of you found your key players, you're untouchables. You made a season that's fun enough for fans to be engaged this year, to watch the watch the games, and the Jazz are competing in you know 95% of these games. Well, now looking into the next era, I 100% agree that whatever they do at the trade deadline, like it has to include doing something with increasing your draft capital. I, I just think... I'm more interested in this Knicks one than I am in the Lakers one uh, for many reasons. But you talked about the players that you like on that team. But again, Ainge knows how to build the draft. And I think that that's a better trade than the first one of how the Jazz can set themselves up for the future. Richie, do you have any other potential trades that the Jazz could be engaging in? Yeah, I've got just a couple more. I'll run through them pretty quick. Um, They're not quite as big as those first two. So, one report that came out is that the Celtics are um, targeting fan favorite Kelly Olynyk. Uh, I don't really see that one happening. There's just not a lot that Boston owns that I think the Jazz are attracted to. So I don't really see anything happening there, but maybe something to keep an eye on. Um, and then Tony Jones reported this morning. He said a deal was made for a Western Conference player on expiring contract for Conley. And so there's only four players that that could be pretty much in the Western Conference. It's Harrison Barnes. I don't really think the Kings would trade for um, for Conley. They have a really good guard rotation as is, and Harrison Barnes is a big part of their team, so I just don't see that happening. Um, next was Jeremy Grant. It's kind of the same situation with the Kings. They need Jeremy Grant. He does a lot for them. Um, Eric Gordon, interesting because Houston definitely needs some veteran presence. However, I it's been expressed that the Jazz would prefer to send Conley to a contender. And so I, I, don't, I don't know if I see that one happening. And the last one that's probably the most realistic of what this report referred to is D'Angelo Russell. We've kind of heard some talks about that all season. Um, D'Angelo Russell, he's playing pretty good. He's okay. I mean, he's done everything you need him to do. He is currently on an expiring contract. They'll probably have to look into re-signing him. However, I, don't, I just don't know if he's like the greatest fit with Gobert and, and with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, whereas Mike Conley might be a really good fit with those guys. Um, defensively, he probably fills in D'Angelo Russell's role just fine. Um, it's definitely a risk because of Conley's contract and because of Conley's injury history. However, I think he would play better with Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert. Obviously, him and Rudy Gobert have experience playing together and I don't know. That, that would be an interesting one to keep an eye on from the Jazz perspective. I don't know. Why not? D'Angelo Russell, he might have some upside. Um, we kind of don't really need like another scoring guard. I feel like we have enough of those as is. But if it's an expiring contract and the goal is to free up some cap space for the next year, then I think that's a great trade. Um, but And then the last little bit of trade information was... Um, Something that could happen today, but might not happen because there hasn't been a lot of talk about it in the last 24 hours or so. But it was Portland is very interested in Jared Vanderbilt. They have a trade exception, which expires today, that they could use to get Vanderbilt and um, send back a couple of players or take in another player. 
again, I don't necessarily see that happening. I feel like we would hear a little bit more buzz if it were close to happening. Portland obviously has some urgency to make a move there, but they could just be waiting to make some bigger move. Um, but outside of that, I don't know. Things are pretty quiet at the moment. Um, definitely keep an eye on Twitter. Twitter is going to be lighting up the next couple of days as teams get closer and closer to making trades. Twitter is king and Woj is king as you stay up to date with all the the NBA trade deadline news. I just had one final note, and this doesn't really have to do anything with the trade deadline, but it's an interesting tweet I saw the other day, Richie, and I know a lot of uh, media outlets are talking about this topic right now with the NBA, um, but there's a tweet tweeted out today by Jeff Lyman, um, and you know he's just a, just a fan on Twitter, but the Jazz have had a lot of players, star players, sit out when they come to Salt Lake, and that'll include tonight once again when Dallas comes back as Lucas sitting and Kyrie obviously was going to sit. I don't think that was going to pan out uh, before tonight's game. But Richie, what are your thoughts on a lot of players sitting out in Salt Lake, um, especially against the Jazz? Like, you have, I'll, I'm just going to go through a quick lineup, and I just wanted to know your thoughts on load management in the NBA. Uh, October 29th, uh, Jazz played Memphis. No John Morant, but he played the next game. November 7th versus the Lakers. No LeBron. LeBron plays the next game. November 30th versus the Clippers. No Paul George or Kawhi. December 3rd, uh, no Damian Lillard when they played Portland, but Damian plays the next game. December 7th against Golden State, no Curry, Green, or Wiggins. Curry and Draymond play the next game. Uh, December 31st versus Miami, no Jimmy Butler. He plays the next game. Uh, January 18th against the Clippers once again, no Paul George, no Kawhi. They both play the next game. And the last time out versus Dallas, Lucas sat, but he plays the next game. So, Richie, what are your thoughts on load management and – is every are all the stars sitting out against the Jazz on purpose? But that's a great question. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily. I don't think it's unique to Utah. It's definitely a league wide problem. Um, from the fan perspective, it sucks. I my family we get a couple of games every year. I chose to go to the Lakers game because I wanted to see LeBron. Um, LeBron didn't play that game. Anthony Davis played and he played really well. And I got to see LeBron sitting on the bench, which was cool, I guess, but didn't get to see him in action. Um, and I don't know. There's, there's a lot of fans that are very disappointed when those players rest, when they load manage, I get why they do it. I think the NBA season as currently constructed just isn't feasible. Um, there's too many games. There's too many back to backs. You're not going to be able to get guys playing in every game. Um, the NBA isn't going to change how many games there are, though. They're making too much money. They're not going to change how much money they could possibly make. The only thing I could see them doing is maybe expanding the season by like two weeks so that you eliminate back-to-backs. You have just more time in general. However, that just makes the season longer in terms of time. And I don't know how players as well as the association in general would feel about that. Um, I do think it is kind of like a it's an epidemic. It's going through the NBA. I don't think it's necessarily always players fault for what, from what I understand, a lot of times it's the teams telling them to rest. Um, I don't think Kawhi Leonard, except there is reason to believe that Kawhi Leonard might be resting and choosing to rest often uh, because of his situation with the Spurs. However, I don't think guys like him that are in, in his same stratosphere are wanting to rest every night. Um, I mean, Kobe said it. He said that he went to LeBron. He went to a Michael Jordan game when he was a kid, and Michael Jordan sat out that night. 
and Kobe was committed to being able to play every night. Michael Jordan was the same way. It's just sometimes you have to sit out. Sometimes you're injured, and it's disappointing every time. Um, but it is just kind of the reality of the NBA right now. I think it's something that when you look at what changes could be made to try to prevent it, there just aren't a lot of really feasible options. However, it, at the same time, it doesn't seem like there's going to be able to just be any solutions in general. So I don't know, definitely something to keep an eye out on. I don't think it's exclusive to Utah. It's definitely a league wide problem, but yeah, it's, it's annoying. I, from the fan perspective, I get it. It's, it's really frustrating. Yeah. I just think, again, like you said, it's not specific to jazz fans, but it's been happening frequently across the league. And in regards to star players resting, that's been a huge topic around the NBA uh, for the past month or so because of the amount of games that a lot of these major stars have sat out for. And I agree with you. I think the schedule as is currently constituted doesn't work out for a lot of reasons. For example, yesterday, Denver was playing on the ed- on the second night of a back-to-back with both of the games starting within less than 24 hours of each other in different states. I find that very hard for everyone involved uh, for that to... I mean, obviously you get it done, but I just think that's so difficult for both teams, both organizations, and especially the players physically. And so some coaches like Steve Kerr's asked that, you know, you take off 10 games, put it back to 72 games, um, you know, lengthen out the season, do this and that. I think potentially in the future, the NBA can fix it. But it is, it is an interesting conversation because I see the other side of former players who say, well, you know, I only had one trainer. I only had one person to help me with my physical health when I was playing in the league. And now these guys have 10 times that many people on the staff, and yet they still sit out constantly. There's so many back and forth discussions you can be making about this topic. I personally think, as well as I think every other fan of the NBA, you want to see the stars play as much as you can. Like that's Again, that's what we pay to go see is to see the best of the best. And it's hard when, like, for example, tonight, you're going to go see a Mavs team that doesn't have any one of their stars on the floor. And so it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. But I think the NBA has to explore at least some form of solution to fix this problem because I think this situation might just get worse and worse as the years go on. So I think that'll be an interesting conversation to have. I just wanted to bring it up real quick, get your thoughts. Uh, Richie is a man of the people for the NBA, so we just need to get his perspective but now we got to go into some college hoops. Uh, the running Utes had a disappointing week. Uh, and obviously, like we know they still won a game, but that was against the worst team in the conference. And they lost against a surging Stanford team at the time. Uh, but overall, still not a great team to lose to if you wanted to go to the NCAA tournament. Richie, what were your overall thoughts about the running Utes last weekend at home against Stanford and Cal? That Stanford game was brutal. Let me just run you through, through some statistics that kind of tell the story of the game. Um, so Utah shot 25 of 64 from the field, 64 field goals. Okay, keep that in mind. 39% um, and 12 of 34 from three for 35%. The three-point percentage, that's fine. That's great. You can live with that. However, Stanford shot 26 of 49, so they shot 15 less field goals. However, they shot 53% from the field and 10 of 18 from three for 55% from three. Normally, Utah allows 38% field goal shooting, which ranks like number six in the nation, and 28.4% from three, which is like number eight in the nation. Just 
incredible, like the shooting percentages that they normally allow. However, this game was just the complete opposite. Um, I feel like Utah hasn't had a bad, bad game since BYU. And even then, that would have been a quad two win. So to lose to like a quad three team like this, that I feel like that's the first bad loss of the season. And yeah, it, it hurts. I thought there were a lot of other things that just didn't go well. Um, I thought just in general, Coach Smith reemphasized this, but there was just a general lack of urgency. We were down by 15 at the half, and we were able, never able to dig out of that hole. Um, and I feel like that's what really kind of put the nail in the coffin for the Utes is just their general lack of urgency in that game. They walked into that game with the idea that they could just waltz through it, and that wasn't the case. I thought some of the Stanford guys who, granted, Stanford has some guys. They had higher expectations for this season than they've had. Like Spencer Jones is a great shooter. We were able to see that firsthand. And Harrison Ingram is a pretty good player who was in NBA draft um, big boards last year, but decided to come back, and he's probably not in that range anymore. But they have, they have some serious players, some players that Utah, frankly, doesn't have. So this loss, while it does... It hurts when you look at the records. It hurts when you watch the game. There are some like silver linings where, hey, this is the first really bad loss of the year. Um, and Stanford has some guys, you know, they're not totally a bad team. But yeah, end of the day, I think I think this one just hurts more than anything. It's losses like that towards the end of the season that make you reflect on closer losses to better opponents that would have kept you with a better resume heading closer and closer to bubble talk and tournament conversation. Think about Mississippi state again, not a great team neutral site, but still would have been a quad two, quad one win. You lose that one in a pretty close fashion. BYU was obviously a tough one. And TCU was another one neutral site, pretty close game for the most part. You lose that one. That's a quad one win. And so the fact that Utah, what really kept them in the bubble conversation was the fact that they didn't have a bad loss. They didn't have a quad three or quad four loss. But now having this setback to Stanford is, I feel now, what will keep them out. Unless by some miracle they go you know, five and one over this last stretch of the season. The hard part about it is, as well, is it wasn't like the Stanford game wasn't really about losing Madsen. That's what I felt would have kept these games close. I didn't think Utah was going to lose the game against Stanford. I don't think really any Utah fan did, but it wasn't really losing Madsen that kept them out of that game. Like you said, it was just the lack of urgency. And I feel like that happened again with Cal, a lack of urgency until Smith kind of shook things up through Jackson Brenchland and he was able to provide a spark and it got the team going. And then they were able to, you know, win comfortably as they should have. But that's what I think is so interesting about the future of this run and Utes program. Overall, looking at this year, it's a success because, you know, with one more win, you pretty much secure yourself a bid to the NIT. I just think the amount of wins from here on out depends on, determines your seating, whether Utah will get a few home games in the NIT. Now, Going into the third year, I think the expectations will obviously shift from just making the postseason to making the NCAA tournament. And so what do the Utes have to do roster-wise to create a bid for themselves or a chance to make it to the tourney? 
I think first off, it's got to be increasing shooting production through the bench and finding experience. The Utes are going to be losing a few senior pieces, Marco Anthony. Uh, Jackson and Brandon have one more year of eligibility left. It'll be interesting to see what both of those guys decide. Um, but obviously you have guys like Mike Saunders Jr. He's probably gone. Uh, Smith has said he just hasn't practiced well. That's why he hasn't been able to get minutes. You have a lot of promising young guys, and we've talked about them a lot on the show. Um, Kebikeda, uh, Wilgins Jr. exact. I mean, Stefanovic is just a sophomore. Like you got a lot of good pieces that they can stay and build. But I think if Utah wants to get to the next level, so that they don't fear these setbacks against these quad three and quad four teams like they did this last weekend, I think you have to find a veteran player with a high shooting production and efficiency. I think that's what really was awesome about having Madsen in the lineup and why he just creates such a different environment with this Utes team is because teams are now specifically scheming against him on defense, which I think when you're Coach Smith, it is it allows you to expand your offensive capabilities because you know how one of your players are going to be guarded. They're going to have high pressure up on top. You're always going to have a guy. I feel like whether they're playing zone or man, someone's always going to be on Madsen um, because you know how much he you know values the three-point shot. And so I think although it limits one of your players to an extent, it expands your options otherwise. And so it was able to open other players up for scoring opportunities. Now I feel like in these last few games, it was so hard for... Utah to really find its rhythm, find its shot. And we've talked about how much we've loved key players like Wooster and such who are able to contribute key statistics, um, you know, reliable stats. But just, I just feel like it's not enough to be able to show that you can compete with the elite. They've done it a few times this season where I feel like they've shown they are a complete team. But in those games, that's where Madsen kind of goes off. I mean, besides Brandon Carlson and against Arizona and Washington, like Madison was the guy. And so I'm interested to see your thoughts about being optimistic, not only about this year, but maybe about the future of the running Utes in general. Do you think that with Madison out, it's showing some glaring errors that the Utes can fix in the future? And if so, what do you think those fixes can be for the running Utes? Yeah. Um, Madison, I, I, he's been great this year. He's been our second leading scorer. I think he's been phenomenal. Um, I like that you mentioned that there are definitely some questions with eligibility and who's going to be back next year, because I feel like that's going to be where the ceiling is hard capped, um, next year. If the Utes are able to retain some of their guys, if they're able to retain Carlson, that would be huge. And I think Brenchley, he came in and was just the spark plug against Cal. That's exactly the player you needed. And I think, that's not just something on the court, but I feel like that's really contagious in the locker room. He's been a great locker room guy for as long as he's been with the program, um, but he is on scholarship. So there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this squad. Wooster, I've been really impressed with him lately. He has improved a lot just since the beginning of the season. I was pretty down on him. I got to I gotta find wherever I said whatever I said about him and just totally backtrack it because Wooster has absolutely blown me away. The more I watch him, the more I really like his game. And I think him playing next to another guard would be just really big for this Utah team. Um, I think one other positive is Utah has found their defensive identity this year. That's going to be big for the future. If you're able to consistently have a really good defense and as well as have guard play, then you're a tournament team. 
all the good tournament teams, all the teams that make deep runs, they have really, really good defenses and really good guard play. And so I think those are going to be two key things for Utah's future. Um, one other reason I'm optimistic about this squad and just the future is I think the freshmen can improve a lot. Um, Keba Keda and Will Exact, they haven't done too much in the last couple of games. Um, but they still do things every game that you're just like, wow, nobody else on our roster can do that because they simply lack, lack the athletic tools. I think Luka Tarlach has a lot of potential as well. He obviously needs to fix some things with his fouling and just his general aggressiveness and let the game come to him a little bit more. But he could be a guy that improves in his rotation player next year. Um, I think going into getting an NIT appearance would be big for this squad. I feel like it just builds confidence. It's the, it's the next step. It's where you want to be at the end of this year, all things considered. And it'd be a big win for the program, honestly. Getting to the NIT, maybe getting some sort of tournament experience um, would be big going down, going down into next year. And if it goes well, then maybe you get certain guys to stay. If it goes poorly, then maybe not. Um, Utah... I'm optimistic about the future because of what's on the roster right now. However, I still think there's a lot of room to improve. I don't know how many scholarship spots will be open. They've kept one open all year this year. And I think if you're serious about going to an NCAA tournament, you got to fill up all those roster spots. You can't have an open spot. That's just, it's not the reality anymore. You're going to need depth. We've seen guys go down year after year. Last year it was Deshaun Marchich. This year it's been Gabe Madsen. Last year it was everybody, frankly. Um, this year Gabe Matson down the stretch. You're going to need all the depth that you can get. You're going to need everybody that you can get through the transfer portal. And honestly, just create the best options. Maybe you'll have to take some gambles. Maybe you'll have to figure out if a guy like Mike Saunders or David Jenkins Jr. is going to work. And if it doesn't, then, hey, at least you used all your scholarship spots, you know? So I think that's going to be a bigger conversation as we get to the end of Pac-12 play and past the tournament and, so on as we jump into the summer. Um, I'm really curious to see what they're able to do from a recruiting perspective. So far, we haven't seen too much. I thought the Kaba get last summer was awesome, as well as the Will Exact Jr. signing was awesome. So far this year, a lot of the guys that they've been interested have gone to other places. Um, Keanu Dawes went to Rice, which I was really surprised with. I thought between Utah and Rice, isn't Utah like the much better decision? We lost out on a guy that went to Florida last week. Um, the same night we lost to Stanford. So that was just a rough night in general. But that's going to be the test for Coach Smith because in all of college athletics, it's there's only so much you can do on the court or on the field with the roster you have. You have to be good at recruiting. You have to be able to make your next step through recruiting. And I think that's going to be really crucial for Utah after this season to be able to recruit, to fill the needs, and you don't necessarily just need to recruit, but get guys through the transfer portal. Get the guys that you think can succeed. There might be some programs in the Pac-12 that are going to blow up. Uh, what if Stanford just has an abysmal rest of their season, their coach gets fired, and Harrison Ingram or Spencer Jones becomes available, and they're both interested in Utah. I think those are the type of guys you need to get, and I think that's going to be really important for Utah down the line. Overall, I just think there's there's still a lot of reason to be optimistic. We haven't seen what a full recruiting cycle looks like for coach Smith. We haven't seen um, what he can really do now that his team is winning games and has that on his track record as a recruiter. I think that'll be big and who knows, maybe Utah makes some noise in the PAC 12 tournament gets an NCAA tournament bid. And all of a sudden the conversation is completely different.
Yeah, I think I agree with you 100% that there's so much to be optimistic about with this team, especially with the program, looking into the future. And on the most likely chance that they don't make it into the NCAA tournament, I think Brandon Carlson, the fact that that man has done so much for this program and has not been able to go to March Madness, I think that could be a big reason that he stays if the Utes don't make it this year. Because next year, like you said, if you add just a few more pieces that the Utes need, the Utes have a very good shot at making it next year. So that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in the offseason. But daunting stretch coming up for the running Utes. Uh, you got Colorado at home on Saturday, like you said, but then you got a tough road trip with the Arizona schools, and then you're coming home and finishing at home with the Southern California schools and on the road at Colorado. So should be interesting to see how this Utes team does without Matson, because again, he's not expected to come back until around a conference tournament play. But hey, if the Utes can at least get two, maybe three more wins and then add one or two wins to in Vegas, like that's such a solid season. Um, I think if you were expecting an NCAA tournament, this year, I think that would have been a little too high, but I don't think anyone's mad that the Utes are going to postseason play. Like that's so good for Craig Smith's squad in the second year. That's valid for the expectations you have for a second year head coach. Now let's see what he can go make of it in his third year and beyond. So super exciting stuff for the running Utes. All right, we're going to finish as normally with our Thatcher Effect draft segment. Richie mentioned it earlier. We're going to be doing breaking bad characters. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm in the middle of the series right now. I'm heading towards the end of season three. Dude, things are heating up, man. So it's getting good. Um, I believe you had the first pick last week. That is correct. So I'm going to go with the first pick this week. It, again, it's like most of our categories. I feel like there's a number one that's just automatic. So with my first pick, I'm going to go Mr. Walter White. At the number one. Great pick. Great pick. I don't even need explanation. Um, number two, I'm going to take the obvious number two pick. I'm taking Jesse Pinkman. I mean, it's sad we had to break those guys up. It's the duo. It's, it's, it's <laughs> know, breaking it. up Stockton Malone. That's the thing. I can't let you have the Stockton and Malone. That's right. It's it's the sad part about having a snake draft. It's it's sad. All right. Um, See, I feel like after our first, our two like first picks, this is where things will get interesting. It'll be interesting to see kind of what, what paths we're taking here. So at the two spot, I thought I want a guy who's not afraid to shoot it. All right. And although they're not shooting basketballs and breaking bad, they're definitely shooting some guns in there. So I, I decided to go with Hank Schrader at number two. Um, I mean, some moments he gets afraid, but, I mean, when it comes down to it, he's a survivor. So I'm going to go with Hank at the two. I love that. Really, really, really good pick. Uh, he was going to be my number two, but, you know, you can't can't win them all. Um, I think I'm going to take Gustavo Fring with my second pick. You use the full name, not not just Gus, Gustavo. Yeah, to me, he's Gustavo. To, to other people, he's Gus. But, you know, we go way back. <laughs> That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Okay, so the third one, I wanted to go again with a guy who's, I feel, got competitiveness. He's got, uh, he's just got everything going for him. Uh, he's he's under the radar, but he still knows how to get the job done. Forgive me if I don't get this last name wrong, but I'm going to go with Mike Ehrmantraut. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Good pick, too. Okay. Good pick. Yeah, 
I, I just thought, you know, he's an undercover guy, but he always gets the job done. So I think I think by the end of the series, and you still aren't there, but Mike's one of the guys that you, you stay liking. You know, he, he's great. He's great in all of it. Right, right. Um, my number three pick, I'm gonna take none other than Saul Goodman. I don't I don't know if you ran into Saul yet, Thatch. Have oh, you? we have. Yeah, he, okay, he comes good. in he comes in season two, I think. Uh, yeah, fantastic I, I like character. Him. Yeah. I can see why they made a series off of him. Like the more you watch him, I'm like, wow, this is a fantastic character. Oh yeah. He's, he's great. If once you finish breaking bad, I would definitely rec- recommend going into better call Saul. It's just as good in my opinion. Okay. It's on my list. Um, I was, I was just thinking Saul would be a really good coach. I don't know if I'd trust him as a player. I thought he'd be a really good coach. That's what, <laughs> that was my reasoning for keeping him off. That's probably a good point. Probably a good point. <laughs> but hey, who knows? Maybe he's good at convincing his teammates, you know, and maybe it works out. All right. So at the four, it's I have I have one of the Salamancas. Um I'm debating right now which one I want to take. And you know what? I'm gonna go this this could be a hot take, but I'm gonna go with Tuco. Um I need someone with that dog mentality. And usually that's what you get at the power forward at the four. Um, so I'm going to go with Tuco at the four. Jeez, man. I, I was going to pick Tuco. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what sorry. to do now. No, no, you're good. You're good. Hey, this is the thing. You got the twins though. And I, I would allow that. I would allow that as one pick. Uh, Dude, I don't know, man. I can't. I can't decide if they're really the guys I want, though. That's true. Um, I think you know, as long as I'm building my team around Jesse Pinkman, I gotta get Skinny Pete in there. <laughs> Dude, I, that's... that's definitely a hot take. Definitely a hot take on <laughs> on the list of good characters in it. But I don't know him and Badger, dude. They with with Jesse, they just they, it creates an unstoppable trio. So we'll see where I pick number five. But yeah, I'm but picking Skinny Pete. Skinny Pete will listen to your point guard. He'll listen to Jesse. So I don't think that's a bad pick. I think it's good <laughs> for team chemistry. I don't know about talent. We'll see. But yeah, um, yeah. At the five, I'm gonna go with the big man. Rest in peace. I'm gonna go with Combo. I just thought, you know, he's he's willing to. He's willing to play for the team, but I needed a big man. I just felt like none of my other guys had it in him. So I, I literally just picked him for his weight. So I'm going with combo. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, my number five, I'm taking Badger. It, it only seems right. Um, the big three. I'm looking at my team, I really don't know how it's going to blend, dude. I've got Stall Goodman, Gustavo Fring, Jesse, Skinny P, and Badger. I'm just like Gustavo feels like he's on a level above the rest of them, but... Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think I think Gus could have been another good coach. I mean, dude's got a plan. I know he's like <laughs> he does, the big man. bad. I know he's like the big bad in the end. I haven't really gotten to that yet. He just still seems like a a level headed guy. I don't know how it turns out, but uh, dude, that's that's not bad. Um, yeah, I don't think uh, I think Hank might be the Hank and Mike on my team might be the only players who know what basketball is. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens, man. That's fair. I that's like, fair. I like the draft though, because again, you have Richie expert in NBA trade talk, as well as breaking bad. Uh, if you want to hit him up, 
you can always find him on Twitter at RichieOsser3. He'll he'll intrigue you with all his Breaking Bad and NBA trade talk. So thank you, Richie. It was an honor to be able to talk Breaking Bad with you. Hey, it's it's a pleasure. I, I do it for the people. <laughs> a man of the people, as always. <laughs> man of the people. Well, thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's edition of the Thatcher Effect. We'll see you next week. Woo!